Today is the second message of our Advent series, and this series is called A Journey to Christmas. So we're going to slowly work our way towards Christmas. We'll end this series on Christmas Eve, which, by the way, is a Sunday. So it's our Christmas Eve service is at 4 p.m. We will not have a morning service that day. So that will end our Advent series. Um, but this weekend, Easter weekend, started or starts the mad dash for shopping. Right? Did I say Easter? Yeah. Man. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving weekend. I'm a mess today. <laughs> so Thanksgiving weekend starts the mad dash to shopping. And so for the next month, all of us are pretty much going to have one word that will pop in and out of our almost daily conversations. And that word is gift. Right? Gifts. Like, like I need to find that, that one gift for that special someone. Or if you have children, I need to find enough gifts so that every child has been spent upon equally, right? Because you, you spread that apart equally. Unless, of course, in my family, I think, I think mom spent the most on me. Maybe. But you spend it equally, right? Or, or maybe, maybe the very thought of Christmas shopping and gifts just throws you into a mental tailspin. Like, 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 okay, so when I have to go get cards, like birthday cards, I just pick one, Chip, but I can't. I just, I, my brain just locks up. I just, I got to find the right one. And it doesn't even have to be the right one for that person. It just has to say the right thing. And sometimes we, we get into like this, this, this mental, just our brains lock up. We, we don't even like shopping. <laughs> and so we wait until Christmas Eve, you know. But we touched on this last week a little bit. You know, in the biblical sense, we, we get the idea of, of gift giving when, when the wise men traveled from Babylon across the Middle East over to Israel to give three gifts to this newborn king, Jesus, right? And so, so that begins the gift giving season for Christmas, so to speak. But really, really, the first gift at Christmas was given way before that. It was the gift that God gave the world, right? Maybe not way before, a couple years before that. Famous verse, John 3.16. Now, I teach from the New Living Translation, so it might be a little bit different than what you're used to, but for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The very first Christmas gift was God giving his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus stepped out of eternity, was born of a virgin, walked the earth as a human being from, a, from an infant to a toddler to a, 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 a young boy, a teenager, a young man, to proclaim the good news of the gospel to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to mankind, to tell mankind and to show mankind how much God loves the world. To take our place on that cross, to die on the cross for us, 
was his mission. He died on that cross so that everybody who believes in him, who invites him into their life, who puts their faith in him, will have their sins forgiven, past, present, and future. So that when we put our faith in Jesus, we then begin to find out our true purpose in life, our true identity in God's kingdom. And then, ultimately, we gain eternal life in heaven. It's not earned, it's gain. It's a free gift. All we have to do is invite Jesus into our lives. Now, everything that I just said is a mystery. It's a mystery to, like, try explaining that to somebody you know that doesn't believe in Jesus. You need a Savior. I don't need a Savior. Life is going good for me. Like, I have money, I have a good family, I have a good life, I, I'm good to people, I'm morally good. I try to explain that to them, that they need a Savior. And it's a mystery to God, to them. It's a mystery that they need a Savior. The only reason that people put their faith in Jesus is because inside of every one of us is something that God put in us as our Creator that cries out to Him. And the more we deny God throughout life, the more we stuff that down and the more we pile stuff on top of it, denial and anger and this and that and life and everything else, and it takes that much more for us to realize that we need a Savior. And a lot of us, when we come to Jesus, it's because we've had this endless cycle of life that just beat us up and beat us up and beat us up. And as a last resort, at least for me, we reached out to Jesus. And he radically changed our lives. And that in and of itself, again, is a mystery. But Jesus is the original Christmas gift. And as Christians, the reason we give is because God first gave to us. If it weren't for God's generosity, we would have nothing. If it weren't for God's generosity, we wouldn't have the air that we breathe. We wouldn't be in this room if it weren't for God's generosity. Every good and perfect gift we have comes from God. And it's from His generous character. Our income, our relationships, our possessions, the things that we own, the jobs that we have, no matter where we are at, because we're all in different levels in life, all of it comes from God. Generosity bears the image of God. That's the title of today's sermon in our Advent series. We're going to talk today about generosity. If God were not a generous God, we would not exist. The earth and everything in it would not exist. Everything exists because of God's generosity. And some of us, we may not feel like we have much, right? Maybe we're, maybe we're, we're, just, maybe we're barely making ends meet. And I totally get that. But hear me out today. If you say I'm barely making ends meet and, and I have a hard time hearing messages about generosity, 
turn that around and say, at least I'm making ends meet. At least it's happening. We have to turn our mindset. We have to change our mindset to that. Understanding how generous God is starts with a mindset of thankfulness. You may not have much, but at least you have something. Amen? John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, verse 16. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. And if you don't think God has blessed you, you're not looking in the right places. You've got to look for them. Sometimes you have to look for them. Sometimes they're just there, and you're like, ah, oh, this was great. God showed up. The moment we can make this, this shift in our thinking, we begin to understand that generosity is one of the things that bears the image of God to those around us. It is for this very reason that God wants us to be generous in all that we do, to imitate him in all that we do, especially with our generosity. Psalm 112, verse 5 says this, Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Proverbs 22, 9, Blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. Now, I was trying to do some stats on this, but I'll just tell you to do it yourself. Google Bible verses about generosity. Bible verses about giving. You will see hundreds of them. And then, write those down. Just, you'll get a different number for each site you go to, but whatever. And then, Bible verses about love, about faith, about money, about health. Giving and generosity is at the top. Money is right around there, and hell is right around there that Jesus preached on. But in the Bible, there are more verses, there are more passages about generosity than anything else. Why is that? Because God is a generous God, and he wants us to bear his image to those around us. He wants us to be generous as well. Generosity is, is more than just a one-time event. It's a lifestyle. It's a mindset. It's also something that must be learned. It's a kingdom-minded way of life. Generosity is giving back to God that which he has already given us. And so why is it important that we're talking about this now? Like right now, the, the biggest spending time of the year, and I'm preaching a message about generosity. Because the Christmas season is all about giving, right? The spirit of giving. And really, this is the time of year when we feel most generous. Most of us do. And it's also just good for us to know this. Luke chapter 6. Jesus, verse 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Church, there are more promises connected to generosity in the Bible than anything else. This is how important a generous lifestyle is to God. It brings his 
blessings. Jesus himself said, give and you'll receive. And when you give with a generous heart, it's going to be... Pre- I mean, try, when you try to fill something, right, you press it down. You shake it up to make room for more. And you press it down. And God says, I will do that for you, but keep pressing it and keep shaking it because sooner or later, it's going to run over and be poured out into your lap. You won't have enough to hold in your hands. Some of you took the Christmas stockings that we have, right? We do this every year. We, we partner with the Center of Hope in, in Whitehall. We fill Christmas stockings. Some of you took one. Some of you took several. Some of you, but you did it. Why? To be a blessing to somebody in need, a child in need. And you get it. And you're not filling that stocking up saying, okay, God, I filled this up. Now I want you to fill me up. You did it out of the generosity of your heart to be a blessing during Christmas. The number one reason that we are to be generous is because it makes us more like God. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 tells us to imitate God in everything we do. Psalm 37, verse 21 says this, the wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. If we proclaim to be a Christian, What part of Psalm 37 do people say about you when you leave the room? To be a godly person, imitating God in all we do, means that we must be generous in our giving. And we're going to look at a a teaching that the Apostle Paul did with the church in Corinth. He was taking up an offering to take to the believers in Jerusalem. And he did this teaching on, on giving. And in this teaching is the principles of giving, but he finishes it with this. We're going to start uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to start at the end and work our way uh, back to the beginning of the teaching. But listen to this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way... He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry... They will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift to wonderful for words. So here's the deal. God is the one who provides all that we have. When we're talking about farming, God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer and then the bread to eat. In our modern day language, God is the one who provides the paycheck you get and the food that is put on your table. The paycheck you get and the utility bills that are being paid. That's what we talk about here. Again, maybe you're barely making ends meet, but at least you're making ends meet. It's it's a mindset of thankfulness that gets us to where we can be generous. So out of his provision, we give. And when we give, then he produces a harvest of generosity in our hearts. This is a supernatural thing. 
And this isn't something that comes naturally. As human beings, we're selfish. Human beings are selfish. We're selfish from a toddler on up, right? Try telling a toddler that they need to share their favorite toy <laughs> or their favorite snack. Try telling some adults that too. Like you... <laughs> it's, it's, it's not really in us, you know, to be naturally generous. Some people are, but sometimes it's a learned behavior. It's a supernatural process. And then out of our generosity, what happens? God is glorified. When people know that we are Christians and that we have a generous heart, the image of God is seen in our character. Because we're imitating God. We're doing what it is that God wants us to do with what he has given us. And not only this, but when we are generous to those in need, look at this wonderful promise. We're going to come back to 2 Corinthians 9, so if you want to just stay there, you can. I'm going to read this promise from Psalm 41. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. The Lord rescues them when they are in trouble. The Lord protects them and keeps them alive and gives them prosperity in the land and rescues them from their enemies. The Lord nurses them when they are sick and restores them to health. When you're generous with what God has given you, this is a promise that we have. You will be joyful. God will rescue you in trouble. He will protect you. He will keep you alive. He will give you prosperity. He will rescue you again. He will nurse you when you're sick, and he will restore your health. Do you want to know why? Because he wants to continue to use you here on this earth. So he is going to keep you protected and healthy and well so that his testimony in your life can be shared with others. And your generosity can continue to go on and to share the love of God around you. A generous person receives the supernatural restoration of God's healing powers when they need it. We, we all have access to God's healing powers, right? We all have access to, to God. He can heal us. He'll take care of us. But when we are generous, when we're a generous person, this is a promise that all of us are given. God will take care of you supernaturally. A generous person has God himself come to their rescue when they are in trouble. A generous person receives the very protection and provision from God himself. Generosity also deepens relationships. It builds friendships and it strengthens those that are already connected. And then it also draws us closer to God. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 12. We already read this, but so two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem. So, so Paul has taken an offering to, to take to the believers in Jerusalem. All right, let's just take our Christmas stockings. Two good things happen when you filled up one of those stockings. The needs of a child are met this Christmas season. That's what happened. And they will joyfully express their thanks to God. People who 
are hurting financially this Christmas season can go to Center of Hope, take their child there, they go to a Christian organization, I'm pretty sure somebody in that family is going to thank God for the fact that Christmas was met. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all believers will prove your obedience to Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given you. If somebody blesses you, right, with an unexpected gift, don't you feel a little more compelled to pray for them? I mean, you thank them, and you're thankful, and you're appreciative, and it makes you feel great. And, and maybe if you're like me, it, it's hard to receive things. But you pray for that person then, right? And you thank God for that person for thinking of you because it made you feel good. And maybe unbeknownst to them, it took care of a need that you had. See, when we can meet the needs of another person through our giving, they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And maybe even if they're not a believer, imagine if they're not a believer and all of a sudden they start thanking God for the fact that you helped them make ends meet. See, our giving is attached to our faith in Jesus. When people know this, they will thank God for that provision. God will get the glory from our giving and their receiving. And it's not that he's looking to get the glory. Like, he, he doesn't need us to praise him to make him feel better. But it draws us closer to him. Like, for instance, when you're a generous person, you're usually praying about who to give to next or what to give to, right? Because it's, it's in you to do that. And then when a person receives that, whether they know it's from you or not, they thank God for that provision, for that need being met. And it draws both parties closer to God. So being on the receiving end of a person causes them to pray to God for the thankfulness that for, for out of a heart of thankfulness. Now again, giving, meeting the needs of others, blessing others, it draws us closer to God. And that's kind of like the result we're looking for, right? There is a supernatural, and here's the thing, there is a supernatural law to this. Just like there is a law to gravity. We know that if I let go of this book, it's going to fall to the ground. That's the law of gravity. There is a law to physics. There is a law to mathematics. There is laws to science. All of that our creator set into place. And there is a law to giving. L listen to this. So, so now we're going to back up to verse 6 in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must, you must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. That's kind of what Jesus was saying, right? This is what is called the law 
of sowing and reaping or planting and harvesting. Paul put it in the sense of a farmer. Does it make sense for a farmer to expect an abundant crop if he only planted a few seeds? I mean, you can't argue that. It, you, you have to be almost insane to say, of course he will. If he just plants three to four seeds, he's going to have a great crop. you just, you got to have faith. It doesn't work like that. If you want an abundant crop, you have to plant abundantly. If you want abundant blessings, you have to be generous. You have to give abundantly. But here's the thing. This is the most important in all of, it, in all of this. It, it is up to us to get this figured out in our hearts how much of a blessing we want to be to the kingdom. Because this determines how much will come back. This, this is a law. It's a law of, of, of uh, sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting. And if a person is only going to give reluctantly or grudgingly or in response to pressure, well, I just may as well do it. Everybody else is doing it. You know what? You may as well not. Honestly, just keep, keep what it is that God has given you and don't give back to the kingdom because your heart is not in the right place. Your heart's got to be in the right place. That's what Paul was saying here. Don't give grudgingly or reluctantly. Just, just It would be better if you didn't. It's a heart attitude that gets us to this, this mindset of thankfulness. And when we give cheerfully with the attitude of wanting to be a blessing to others... God will generously provide all that we need with leftovers. That's what Jesus was talking about in Luke chapter 6. He said, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Pressed down, shaken together, running over into your lap. Again, this is the law of planting and harvesting. And the Apostle Paul was just echoing the words of Jesus. Now, Hear me out on this. I'm not contradicting what Jesus said, all right? But the amount is not the most important factor in giving. The most important factor in giving is our attitude. The amount means nothing if our hearts are not in it. If our hearts aren't in it, it doesn't matter how much we give. But the amount, when our hearts are in it, determines what we get back. It starts with the conditions of our heart, the condition of our hearts. It, it's a heart posture. I determined a long time ago that it doesn't matter, like, for instance, this is a mindset that we made up. I don't care. Sometimes I do. If we get the worst service in a restaurant... I'm still going to tip generously because I believe that my faith is attached to that money. It's not my money to begin with, right? It's not mine. It's God's. And maybe the bad service we're getting is because this person is having a bad day. Maybe they are barely making ends meet. And so maybe my generosity is a blessing to them. And the kingdom of God comes crashing into their world because of that generosity. They don't need to know that I'm a Christian because there's a supernatural transaction happening there. 
It's the same with the, with the stockings. It's the same with when you give, anything. There's a supernatural transaction because when you have this mindset, you understand that you are giving into God's kingdom. And maybe you'll get back financially. You know what? I'm just going to share something with you. One time, one time we received such a blessing in, in, in a, in a one-time shop, got an email that said, hey, we have this taken care of you, this bill of yours. And I think it was to the dollar, it would have been our yearly tithe amount. Like, that's a pretty big blessing, right? Like, like, like I said, hey, Kim, look at this. And then I started doing the math, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that's 10% of our annual income. That's our tithe right there. That's what happens. And maybe it's not monetarily. Maybe it's your health. Maybe that, that appliance that you have been hoping lasts another year lasts five more years. We don't know. Sometimes, you know what I often think about? I often think about the blessings that God pours into my life that I never even knew. Like the fact that there might have been something waiting in my path for this day or, or this week, and God said, not, not, not this week. Because of Chip's generosity, because of the generosity that this person has, I will keep them supernaturally protected, and you will not touch my child this week. That's what I believe. I believe that. And, and I, you know what? It would be awfully hard to convince me otherwise. It really would. Now, does it mean that I never have any problems or nothing bad ever happens? No. But it does mean that I believe God will always provide the provision for the way out. Like, I, we've never been in want. When things break down, it's not a problem. God will figure it out. We'll get it figured out. Things get figured out. Once the aggravation of all that is over with, and then you can relax and go, all right, how are we going to figure this out? And then God says, why were you so... And he steps in. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you, I'm hoping this sparks a little, just a little something of hope in your spirit. So here's the thing, too. We don't give to get back. Okay? We give to be a blessing. A little bit, the next chapter prior to chapter 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here's what, here's what Paul says too. He's, he's leading up to taking up the offering. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, he says this. Actually, the end of verse 11. He says, give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly if you give it from a good heart attitude, if you give it from a good place, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. In other words, look at what you have. If you don't have much, there's something in there you can give. But don't look at what you don't have and say, I can't give. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. And, and then he goes on to say, listen, your giving is going to help somebody else now, and somebody else's giving is going to help you out later. And that's what he's talking about, equality there. But Paul is saying, give out of the proportion that you have. 
Oftentimes we hear messages like this and we think there's no way I can give. I just don't have. Right. But you have. Like, take the word don't out of there and say, I have something. I can do something. And maybe it's just that little something that God wants you to, to, to move in so that he can show you how good he is. But we'll never know if we don't try. And so we must give in proportion to what we have. Now, real quick, I want to talk about something that's called the tithe. The tithe is, is a whole separate thing from what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is above and beyond the tithe. The tithe is 10% of our first fruits. What, is, what do I mean by our first fruits? Our income, right? Like, like everything that I have, everything our family has, all the income comes from God. We believe this. And God says, I want you to give 10% back. Back to the kingdom. Just 10%. And it goes to the place where you are fed spiritually. So if this is your home church, it should go to this church. It's what keeps us running. It's what keeps us able to do our family Halloween parties and the Christmas concert, all these evangelistic opportunities that we have here. If you're just visiting today and you have another church, you should tithe to that church. You're 10%. And in Malachi chapter 3, this is the only place in the Bible where God says, Test me in this. Put me to the test in this. And if you start giving 10%, I will, he basically says, I'll bless your socks off. I'll take care of you. And what it does is it puts a supernatural protection over your home, over your family, over your finances. It's almost like Psalm 41 right there that we read, those promises. It doesn't mean, again, like it's a magic being, well, if I tithe, I'm never going to have any problems again. But what it does mean is, when problems arise, God always has a way for you. He always finds a way out. He will take care of you because you're investing in the kingdom. And it's out of an area of obedience that our investment takes place. And God says, because of this, I will take care of you. I will bless you. I will be with you. So that's, that's the tie. All of this, tithing and giving, it's investing in God's kingdom. And God says, when you invest in my kingdom, I will take care of you. I'll bless you. I, I'll keep you healthy. I'll protect you from your enemies. I'll always find a way out for you. To, to me, it's worth it. It really is. Because here's the other thing, too. Everything we have here on this earth is not going to go with us but what we invest in the kingdom will be waiting for us. How about that? So here's the deal with all of this. When we bless others, God will take care of us. He will bless us as well. And this is one of my favorite Proverbs, 11.25. The generous soul will be made rich. And he who waters will also be watered himself. When you take care of others... God will take care of you. That's what this is saying. A generous heart also keeps us healthy. Did you know that? When, when you have an attitude of thankfulness for what God has given you, and, and you pour that out to those around you, you're healthy. You're actually a healthy person. Mind, body, and spirit. It's a supernatural health and protection that only God can supply for us. When you're stressed about your finances, that wears on your body. And it's unhealthy. 
When God was establishing the nation of Israel, all right, he made giving and taking care of the poor. He made it a command. But it was more than just a command because it was a command that came with a promise. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 15. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. Does, does, this, does this sound familiar? So Paul is just talking about the things that he already knew was written in the scriptures. For the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. As long as we're here on this earth, there will always be people in need. Jesus said the same thing. You know what else? Jesus was sitting in the, in the temple. You can read about this in uh, Mark 12 and Luke 21, I think. There's a story where he's, he's sitting with, his, with the boys, with the disciples. There's probably some ladies there too, but I always say the boys. And he was watching people give. They were, they were giving their offerings in the temple box. And along comes this widow, and she puts in two little coins, about the value of two pennies. And Jesus said, you see that? She has given more than everybody else that is given today because everybody else gave out of the abundance of what they have, and she gave all that she had, and she gave from her heart. So it's our duty as a church, as a church family, and as individuals to take care of those in need. So we'll close it with this. Here's the deal. Generosity must come from the heart, and it must be thought out, right? Meaning, meaning it's a part of who we are as Christians. It's not impulsive. It's not irrational. It, it should make sense that you're doing this, right? It means we talk to God about how much to give and who or what we give to, what ministry we want to give to, because there will always be those in need, right? There's, there's plenty of things that we give to. I also believe this is a very giving church. Like, for those of you that are new here, you'll, you'll find out in Easter, we give our entire Easter offering away to three international ministries. We give that entire offering away. We, 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 have, we provide free services once a month for the community. Medical service, pregnancy health care, computer repair, we give bicycles away, free vision care, all of it's free for the community. And we do other things throughout the year. Oh, also, we take up an offering, right? We take up an offering. The Saturday night Christmas concert service and our Christmas Eve service is a special offering we take up that goes towards what we call our charity and benevolence fund for our church family that is in need throughout the years. It, it helps out with funerals. It helps out with utilities or rent or mortgages that can't be paid. We're here to help. But it's out of the abundance that you give to be a blessing when we ask for that offering. And I believe because of the giving of this church, God has protected this church and kept this church going strong for 40 plus years. I believe that. So, so here's the deal. We talk to God about it. And then generosity is also to be cheerful. The more it becomes a part of who we are, as we go through life thinking about it and talking to God about it, like, God, you know, should I give to this? Should I give to that? Should I get one, two, or three stockings, God? What, what should I do here? You talk to God about it. When you do, there will be a feeling of joy. There will be a feeling of cheerfulness that wells up inside of us because 
or thinking about blessing somebody else. It's supernatural. You can't really explain it. Because our generosity is attached to our faith as God's Holy Spirit is a part of both the giving and the receiving process. So, can we make this Christmas season the Christmas season that we are intentional on being generous with what God has given us? And make this a part of who we are starting in the new year. Like, start with the mindset of thankfulness and saying, I want to be intentional on giving a little bit more. Maybe you're not tithing. Lord, I want to start out this new year tithing. I want to start out this new year stretching my faith in giving. And involve Jesus in the thought process. Because when you do, I promise you, he'll show up. And here's the thing about this, too. If you want to hear the voice of God, start having conversations with him about generosity. He'll start talking to you. And you're not going to believe it. And you're going to feel like that's out of your wheelhouse. Like, I, I, can't, I can't do that. That's too much. But he's speaking to you about what you can give. He's speaking to you about what you have, not what you don't have. Amen? Let's pray. And I want to ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us as we move into a time of worship, focus on what we do have. And that this is the year, as we end 2023, that we begin talking to you, God, about this. And that we move into 2024 with the mindset of being thankful for what it is that you have given us so that we can imitate you by being generous to those around us.